You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited for today's episode. Today on the Freedom Pact podcast, we are joined by one of the biggest names in the entrepreneurship space today. It's Dean Graziosi. Dean is an absurdly, absurdly successful real estate entrepreneur, having featured on television every single day for 16 years in what was one of the most profitable direct selling television shows ever, having generated hundreds of millions of dollars doing so. Dean is a multiple-time New York Times best-selling author. His previous book, The Millionaire Success Habits, having sold over a million copies, as well as Dean's other books that include 30 Days to Real Estate Cash and Totally Fulfilled, were books which completely dominated the non-fiction charts at the time. These days, you will find Dean recognized as one of America's top success coaches who has millions and millions and millions of social media followers, Dean's masterminds to get entrance to will cost in excess of six figures, as well as Dean is a partner with Tony Robbins for his latest project, which is pretty cool. (laughs) But despite all this, what is truly remarkable about Dean is that it hasn't always been like this for him. Dean grew up in extreme poverty. As a child, Dean was sleeping on a mattress inside of his bathroom. He never made it to college, and he also had a learning disability, you know, just to top things off. Dean built his life with literally nothing other than a sheer determination and a will to want to make money to be able to provide for his mother. So he did this through chopping wood, repairing cars, and knocking on literally thousands of doors. Dean says that he is no smarter than the average person. However, he has utilized the power of being an underdog in life, and he talks about how this has fueled him. So, I'm so, so excited for this episode. Let's give it up for the man that Sir Richard Branson paid tribute to by saying... Dean is a type of entrepreneur that makes the world a better place. Dean Graziosi, welcome to the Freedom Pack. It's good to be here. How you doing? Amazing, man. So <laughs> I've got the, the introduction to your book sat in front of us here, and it is something that resonated with us both quite deeply. And I just read a little bit of it out. Um, to everyone who ever felt like they were dealt a tough hand, Um, Though giving up, considered settling for an okay life, but still keeps pushing forward, even when others and that inner voice say, enough. Your next level lives on the other side of one of those obstacles, so keep climbing. Dean, we've read so many books between us. We've read a million introductions. This one just struck a chord with us, and I think it moved me physically. And it, it reads as if it's from someone who's, you know, battled desperately trying to achieve their dreams under a a mountain of pressure from society, from limiting beliefs, maybe from past failures. What was it that prompted you to to write this book specifically? And how would you define an underdog? Yeah, uh, great. First off, boys, I just want to say congratulations for what you're doing out there, sharing the message, helping self-education get out into more people's hands. You know, I say this and I'll get to your question. It was a great question. But, you know, when I was, how old are you boys? 23. 23. So when I was 23, there was no internet. 
uh, you know, there wasn't online, there wasn't YouTube, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't Instagram, there weren't podcasts. So, and I had dyslexia, so reading was very difficult for me. So for me to find a mentor, I had to, I had to legit try to find people to help me. I had to, I watched infomercials. I got Tony Robbins course off an infomercial in my twenties. So I love, love, love that social media and social interaction can happen and distribute knowledge and wisdom for so many people listening to your followers, listening for new capabilities so they can find their own dreams, so they can find their own path. So I applaud both you guys for spending the time, the dedication. I know what it takes to prepare, to set this up and give back to the world. So I give you guys a hand for that. Um, You're welcome. Okay, so Underdog Advantage, you know, so I teach people, I've been teaching people how to be successful for over 20 years. And then I realized about five years ago when I got obsessed with habits, what I realized is that you could give somebody a business on how to sell $20 bills for $10. You can give them the greatest opportunity, but if they don't have the right mindset or the right habits, it'll continue to fail, right? So I wanted to go upstream to anchor in foundational habits that could change your life. And fortunately, I think you guys both read Millionaire Success Habits. I think we did that in a big way. It became one of the best-selling books of the last three years, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies, amazing reviews. And now this one with the underdog advantage, what I realized is even people when it comes to habits, they say, well, I can't, I, I don't even know if I can start there because you don't know what's going on in my life. I'm an underdog. And they might say it in a lot of different ways. In fact, I was just on stage a couple days ago um, in South Carolina. There was 6,500 people. And I said, if you guys are an awesome crowd, uh, mostly ladies, my friend Rachel Hollis, it was her event. And I said, who in here has one at one point in your life or maybe currently now felt like things could go better for you, but you were an underdog? And the entire 6,500 people raised their hand. I mean, I'm sure you guys have felt like an underdog maybe now or at one point in your life. And what happens is, is what I realized from being in business for 30 plus years, I'm, you know, on this earth for 51 years next week, um, is I realized that the majority of people, when they feel that they don't have family support or nobody will lend them the money or they don't know how to get the trademark or that, uh, that, you know, that uh, they don't have the right partner, the right agenda. They don't have the right um, education. They didn't go to the right college. They don't live in the right city. They don't live in the right country. What happens, most people take that underdog feeling, that that so-called disadvantage, and that becomes their story. That becomes their life. And I don't want that. I, I, because when you, and I geeked out, you guys read this book, but I geeked out and read so many different underdog stories. And what you realize, the most successful people in the life had in the world have had the same disadvantages, maybe even worse sometimes, but they had a mechanism to shift that disadvantage into their superpower, into their rocket fuel. And I just geeked out on this. It's like, man, we all, including you guys and me as well, I had so many disadvantages from dyslexia to not having any money to parents being married 10 times to not knowing what I was going to do with my life and all these crazy things that we all get, sleeping in a bathroom with my dad for a while, like all those things and not poor me. I'm so happy about my past. It made me the man I am. But what I wanted to do is go upstream again. So from tactics, I went to success habits. And from success habits, I wanted to go up one more notch and set the foundation and let the world know if you've ever felt like an underdog, if you feel like an underdog right this very minute while you're listening, I wanted to create the Bible, the mechanism for you by the time you're done reading, go, thank God, thank the universe that I was dealt this hand because the things in my toolbox that I thought were anchors were actually my rocket fuel and now I could spin them and use them to my advantage. That might have been a long answer to a short question, but that's why I wrote it. Uh, everybody feels like an underdog, and I want underdogs to be proud and be like, yeah, I'm a freaking underdog. That's why I'm going to excel to the level of life I'm going to excel to. When I read the book and I, and, I, and I finished it, and, you know, Lewis and I, we've consumed your content for a long time. And I think the biggest compliment which I could pay to you is – when I consume your content and that incredible video you did when you t- took everyone back to your old house, is I think you have this ability to make people feel as if they're just not alone in the world. You just have well, this ability you. to really make people feel as if you know they're just not alone. You have this real empathetic nature which, which really comes through the camera. And my guess is it's because you fucking lived it, you know. I mean, yeah. I see a lot of, of speakers and nearly at the top but not quite. 
and they paint this picture perfect life. But but the problem is with that is is the audience they just can't relate to it. What I think a lot of people shy away from is what you've really embraced and that is your vulnerabilities, your stories. That's what people relate to. And for me that that that's your major strength. This is why you Well, know, thank we, you for that. So I'd love to to delve in because there's so many fantastic stories in the book. <laughs> you just delved in there into, you know, the sleeping in your bathroom. So let let's get some context and let's talk about your yeah. personal underdog uh, advantage what disadvantages have you faced in your life let's let's start there well i i think you know and it's funny because i let a dear friend read my book when it first got done who's not in this business loves books and he went nuts over the book but then he came to me he's like dude do you want to be this vulnerable do you want to let people know how bad you failed or lived in a bathroom or had dyslexia or screwed up the deal or cried like a baby in a hotel room because you let the deal fall apart or went completely broke and i'm like yes because if i'm truly a person that says i want to impact lives i want to like i'm on a mission for the next you know until i close my eyes to the last time i want to give people the tools that i wish i had more access to People can only learn from you when they feel you truly understand them. Like if you, if if they know I walked in your shoes, I've been broker than broke, but I had success. I've been lonely and sad, but I'm in the best relationship in my life. I didn't. I don't think as a child I had the best childhood, but I'm creating the best childhood in the world for my kids because I had all the crap, not because of any other reason. And some people don't have to go through that, and that's great. I, I my kids aren't going to go through have to go through what I went through, but I still want people to know where I've been. So they can go, oh, I get why I should listen to this. I get why I've tried those things before, but it didn't work. But I'm going to do it this time because I see the, the evolution of how it worked for him. So for me, like if, if, I, if I talk you know, uh, throughout the history of time, there's probably a ton of disadvantages. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I, I did have dyslexia. I couldn't wait to get out of high school. Uh, I didn't go to college. Not that any college would accept me. But there was a time where I felt that and this is a story, it's in the book, there's a time that I felt, um, especially my seventh grade teacher, it's funny, I still remember that, her name was Mrs. Thompson, would always tell me, just sound it out, are you dumb or something? And, and I think for like two or three years, I believed I was dumb. And I was like, I'm not gonna go to college because I am dumb. Uh, kids would, that are smart go to college. Kids that are smart become doctors and lawyers. What the hell am I gonna do? I'll work with my dad in cars or go get a factory job or a construction job. Not that any of those are bad, but that's just the way I looked at it. Um, so let's just take being dyslexic. So massively dyslexic, didn't read books because every time I read, I'd get frustrated. I, I couldn't comprehend. It'd take me way too long to get through one page. And then by the time I get done, I couldn't understand it. I'm like, ah, forget it. So here's a crazy story. Um, I wrote my first book, which was called Totally Fulfilled. Um, um, and before I wrote that book, I had only read less than a handful of books cover to cover in my entire life. Not many people know that. I wrote about it in the book. I read, wrote about that story. But one underdog I thought was a disadvantage is that I had dyslexia, wasn't that smart, didn't go to school, and other pe people who write books have to be smart, right? So that's what I thought at one time. But when I turned that around and realized that I'm a good storyteller, that I want to impact people's lives, that people don't give a shit if I spell words right or my grammar, if I don't know a prepositional phrase, who cares as long as I, it's coming through with my heart with authenticity and they can feel my enthusiasm and, and being vulnerable. So I, I, I hire an editor um, for my first book, Totally Fulfilled, and I, I still have this underdog disadvantage, like underdog Ness living inside of me, and she ends up telling me the book is horrible, um, that uh, that it's not a book, it's a 250-page uh, conversation that I, I need to hire somebody, I need to do a rewrite, and that underdogness started seeping back in, like, oh, why should you do that? But what I did was, and this is some of the things that I share, and this was, I didn't have a strategy, but I realized how it exponentially grew my life, I started seeing that she was wrong. I started using the fuel of her telling me that I can't do this. I started using the fuel of that no one would ever see me coming as an author. I started learning from other people and all of a sudden I said the hell with that. And I used that disadvantage to say, I wanna be the first guy that's got like an eighth grade grad uh, education. I don't have a vast vocabulary. I have dyslexia. I wanna be that first guy that writes a book and it becomes a New York Times bestseller because I know how to tell a story. And as and I I don't know if this uh, this definition is really landing as hard as it was, but I went from 
being that dumb kid in school that never read books to totally fulfilled when I launched it because I was a storyteller. It became a New York Times bestseller the first week it launched. Man, this is a story which I'd love to to pick up on. So I'll just paint some context and please feel free to fact check me. So as far as far as I know from from reading the book, you hire the 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 best editor, a lady from Virginia. You oh know, my God! I, you do remember the story. I yeah. do, man. I do. So you hire this amazing uh, editor from Virginia. As far as you're aware at the time, she's the best around. Yep. You, you're so excited to do this that you fly from Phoenix all the way to Arizona. <laughs> True story. <laughs> you don't. You don't want to. You're so excited to do it. You don't even email it to her. So you give it to her, and and she's. You know, you're so excited. You're so pumped. And she says, Dean, you know, you can't write a book like like a conversation. This doesn't yeah, and here's the, And let me just back up. Just so again, I, I love you're bringing this up. If you if you think this is great for your audience, I'd love to dig in because that's what I painted was the quick story. But think about the emotions that go inside and how many times I wanted to take this feeling of an underdog and go, she's right. I should quit. Who the hell am I to think I could write a freaking book? I haven't even read books. I don't even know how to lay out a book. I don't know what a prepositional phrase is. All those things come into play. So when I first met her, I handed her my manuscript, right? And I talked to her and she saw my enthusiasm. She's like, oh my God, Dean, I can't wait to edit this. This is going to be the best book ever. Uh, let me call you. Let me read something and call you. And it went from that to just what you're saying. Two days later or a day later, she calls me and says, this isn't a book. If you, go ahead. You, you, can, you can finish from there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, you know, just... That what, what I love as well about you writing is, is you retake people on the story with you. You go through the emotions, as you just said. So as I'm reading this now, I'm thinking of a man who has really, you know, de- gone through so much in your life. You've talked about those disadvantages. And finally, you know, you've got this draft on your computer. And then I believe it was three weeks or a month or so after that, that this publisher says, you know, that this, this is not good. You know, this is the top editor maybe in the u.s the, the one who's responsible for all these bestsellers and you're sitting there and you're thinking oh man you know it's just a problem with my writing and then what happens from there dean yeah so so god you're bringing me back to it when i wrote it it's so funny when i went back in i looked at all my old emails and the process and i want you to know i share these stories because you realize you know this already at the end of each chapter i bring it into a lesson on how it adapts to everyone's life right so she tells me it's not a book she said, it's a 250-page conversation. It doesn't need an edit. It needs a complete rewrite. And she goes, and I'm really sorry, Dean. So I hang up the phone, and again, that flood of being an underdog hits me, and I'm like, ah, oh, why did I think I could do this? And I'm not kidding you. This is. I looked back, and I got back in that emotional state, and I was one inch away from hitting delete. I had the whole manuscript on my, on my computer. It was an IBM laptop before everybody had Apple iPads and, I, and, and laptops. And I remember just going, no, that, dude, there's a lot of things you can do. You can make money with real estate. You can make money helping people in marketing, but you're not a writer. This is the top editor on the planet. Just delete it. And I looked at it and looked at it. And there was just this shift. And I don't remember if it was a week or five weeks or seven weeks after reading her email and talking to her that I just found this transformation of, no, this is why this is gonna be a book that gets out to millions of people. This is why people need it, because it's not for the perfect authors, it's not for the perfectly educated, it's not for the perfect writers. This is to get a message to change the world. And, and again, some of the chapters in here kind of give it away, um, but like underdogs, they never see you coming. You have nothing to lose. I had the, you know what I had behind me? The power of you can't. I do a whole section which you guys know. The power of you can't is my whole life, just like I'm betting some of you watching and you two boys, I bet the same with Joe and Luce, is I had people say, oh, you wanna start your own real estate business? Oh, you can't do that, Dean, it takes money. Oh my God, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna write a book? Oh my God, Dean, you can't do it. You wanna do an infomercial? Oh, Dean, you can't. And what I realized is you can't, for some people, makes them not. And I found a way to turn that into my fuel. It's like, you want to tell me I can't? You want to tell me I'm not smart enough and I can't do this? And I know we have both sides. We have that side that says, you're not smart enough, you can't do this. And then the other side, he goes, screw them. I'm going to show the world, right? And I just found a way, and it's what I teach in that chapter, is how to lean towards this side that says, let me show you. You tell me I can't, now that means I must. So at one point, that power of you can't from her, that I wanted to be crazy resent, uh, resourceful, 
because underdogs have to be resourceful. It's better than resources. And I said, the hell with it. I hired a local uh, editor and I said, listen, just make it so I don't look dumb. I I'd love to say that's literally what the email said. That's, that's how intellectually uh, deep I go. I just said, make it so I don't look dumb, but don't change my words. And with all of that transformation, I was an inch away from deleting a book that was my first New York Times bestseller. And now, I mean, Underdog Advantage is my sixth or seventh book. It's my sixth book. Um, none of these books would have happened if I would have used that disadvantage to be my anchor instead of it into my superpower. Dean, like Joe said, what, what I love about your writing is, you know, it brings the audience on the story with you. And one of the stories that comes to mind is I, I was sat at my desk, Joe cracked on with the book before me. And um, I said, you know, how are you getting on with the book? He said, he said, I absolutely love it. And um, I said, well, what are you enjoying about it? And he just sent the words Tommy Lee back to me. <laughs> so, you know, I know this is Joe's favorite story in the book. So let me take you back to, to 1993. You're running a very successful version of what today would be described as a, a, a meme page. As a meme page. <laughs> yeah. um, and you look down and you, and you get an email uh, from Tommy Lee uh, of Motley Crue, one of my favorite bands. Uh, yeah. Could you just tell our audience what happens from there? <laughs> yeah, so you gotta understand something. I'm running this kind of like meme page before the internet's kind of a thing. I mean, this is 1993. It was, you know, this is like dial-up and AOL and modems and that noise when you get online. Some of the stuff you guys would even wouldn't even know. But I have a site where people are paying each month for all these cool memes, and it's not really making me a ton of money. It's doing okay. It's new. The internet's world. You know, videos were really slow, but I'm getting momentum. So out of the blue, now you understand something. Talk about feeling like an underdog, right? At the same time, I'm working in my collision shop, painting cars every single day of my life, and at night working on real estate while at the same time running this site, right? And I got one guy that knows programming that's doing it. And all of a sudden, I come in one day while I'm like doing an estimate to repair a guy's car, and an email pops up, and it's from Tommy Lee. And I'm like, whoa, not Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. And he's like, yo, dude, love your site. You, uh, we should, uh, he said, yo, dude, love your site. Um, keep up the good work. And I'm like, oh man, I was like, oh shit. Like I had a pen in my hand. I'm like, oh my God, Tommy Lee just emailed me, right? I'm in my collision shop, uh, you know, car repair shop. So I waited a little while and I emailed back. I said, hey man, you know, this is before reality shows. This is before anything like that. I said, what if, and Tim and Tom, uh, Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee were like the hottest couple in the world back then, right? Like wherever they went, people went nuts. So I said, what if we did a pay-per-view site like that? Not, and I remember I wrote, not porn, not even like just your real life, like, like what Kardashians are in today's world. And we just film behind the scenes and people pay 19 bucks a month to see your life. He's like, yo, man, that's freaking amazing. Talk to my attorney, David Rudick. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. So now I'm totally freaking out. I get on the phone with David Rudick and this guy's the attorney. He was the attorney for the Beatles, for Michael Jackson. I mean, like top attorney. And I'm a guy in upstate New York in a tiny little town calling him from a collision shop, right? So this will relate to underdogs, just so you know. So I feel like a complete underdog. Like, I, this is way above my head. But David and I talk. He's the sweetest guy in the world. He says, jump on a plane and come on out. So I said, okay. So I get my best clothes on. I, he says, write up a proposal. I had no idea how to do a proposal. I get go to someone I think is smarter than me. We write a five-page proposal. I fly out there, and I I went into his office. I was literally shaking, like my hands were like white. My my I had cotton mouth. I sit down. I go talk to David Rudick, Pamela, and Tommy Lee's attorney. And he said, tell me how you know how's this all come about. I tell him. I said, listen, there's lots of people you could work with, but I got a passion. I got a heart. I'm, I think this pay-per-view monthly and reality stuff is going to be huge. I'd love to do it with Tommy and Pamela. We get done in an hour. He said, let's do this. He calls Tommy Lee and Pamela, and they're like, hi, guys. And he's like, Dean, meet Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm like dying. I'm like, hi. And they're like, hey, yo, I'm glad this worked out. Let's all go to dinner. So I'm out of my mind. He said, all right, 7 o'clock at the Rainbow Room. I leave. I get in the car. Guys, know what it's like. You guys get it. And those of you listening, know what it's like to feel like an underdog. I was working in a collision shop. I was breathing fumes every day. I knew there was more for me, but I didn't know exactly how I was going to get there. My friends thought I was crazy that I didn't go to college. I wasn't making that much money and I was hustling. They all thought I was a dreamer. So this was like, oh my God, these are, 
this is my next level. I got, I, I'm breaking free. I just made this happen. Like, what, like out of my mind, I'm driving in California down Sunset Boulevard, windows down. Actually, I had a convertible, rented some cheesy convertible. Hair blown, like, I go to this, I go to my hotel and I'm in the hotel, like, like jumping up and down, high five, and like, whoa, my God. Like, I'm so excited. Like, the, the highlight of my life. So then about an hour later, I get a phone call and it's David Rudick again. He goes, hey, Dean, um, real quick, can you swing back here? Uh, he's, he, was Dave, he was their attorney. Their manager wanted to see me. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll head right back over. So now I, I get in the car. I'm going to dinner with Tommy Lee and Pamela tonight, and I, I, I'm putting this deal in. I finally found, like, I finally am going to prove to the world what I, what I could do. And I get there, and I walk in, and it's completely different. I sit down, and this manager says to me, before we get started, I go to talk. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I swear to God, you guys can see me on video, but this is how it was. I went from my like confidence walking in the room and immediately I didn't have enough years under my belt to be confident anymore because he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I got to ask you, how the fuck did you get in this building? And I remember thinking like, at first I was kind of like rattled. I'm like, and I'm thinking like, how did I, like, I came up the elevator? Like, I was totally confused. He goes, no, how'd you get here? He goes, what, you run a collision shop in Marlboro, New York? He's like, oh, what do you make? Um, was your business do a million dollars a year? That's cute. He said, listen, why would you think we would ever do business with you? This is a great idea. I'm going to use it, but I'm not going to use it with you. I'm in freaking Hollywood. You have the two hottest stars on the planet. Why the hell would they make you their partner? First off, uh, he said something. He said something else. And then uh, I said, well, you know, I could talk to Tommy Lee and Pamela tonight at dinner. He goes, dinner? Because I canceled that a half hour ago. I'm pissed at David that he even set that up. He goes, this ain't never going to happen. And I, I, was, I was like, I went from the highest point of my life to the lowest point in my life, all within that two hour space. And just being honest for, for any of you that have ever felt that way, felt the rug pulled out from underneath you, that you felt you were this close in a relationship or your business or your next level of life. And at the last minute, someone just freaking put the kibosh on it or pulled the rug out. And you're just like, like, you feel like your life is over. I was only in my twenties, but I still felt like, oh, this is it. And then I start having all those feelings of like, maybe you're meant to work in a collision shop. Maybe you're meant to be broke. Maybe you're meant, like all those crazy thoughts, right? I went back to my hotel and legit, I sat on the floor in my hotel. And I remember the hotel, I was in the like Marilyn Manson room, uh, uh, Marilyn uh, Monroe room, not Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Monroe room. It was an old Hollywood hotel. I sat on the floor, guys. I, lit I literally cried, like cried, sobbing, feeling sorry for myself. Um, and it just, it, but here's the thing. I'd love to give this lesson. They called me back an hour later and I got the deal. I didn't get the deal. I never got the deal. In fact, I flew home and this is a true, like it's all true, but I fly home. I'm like deflated. I get all the way back to New York. Now I own apartments at the time. Now I'm doing good from where I started from my own 30 apartments. I had a collision shop. I had an auto sales. I was doing some good things. I get back and one of the apartments that I rented the toilet backed up and literally the bathroom had like six inches of crap in it, like just sewage and no plumber would come out and do it. So I come back deflated, come back feeling like a loser, coming back feeling a little bit like an underdog, like you're an underdog and that could have kept me there forever. And um, no one would clean this bathroom out. I went and got fishing waders on, a bucket and a shovel and spent three hours cleaning shit for lack of a better word. And then just lived in misery for about two weeks. Like, why would you do this? Now, I'd love for you guys to ask any questions on the emotional side, but here's the thing. In hindsight, that was meant for me. It was meant to, like, I believe there's a success God or a success auditor, and they put you through these to, real, to see if you're strong enough to overcome something so bad and find a way to make it a positive. Within weeks, using processes that I share in this book, I converted that to who else gets a shot to go sit in front of Tommy Lee and Pamela? Who else comes this far? I've already got this, and I use that momentum. I use that languaging. I use that disadvantage and it became one of my strongest powers in the world. Years later, David Rudick followed my career. He called me, asked me to come out to Hollywood, apologized and said, man, we were dumb not to work with you. We tried to do it ourselves. It failed miserably. Then Tommy Lee and Pamela split up. It never would have worked anyway. And I was on a whole nother level. And I realized that moment was one of those defining moments where I could have used the, being an underdog as a disadvantage. And I could have went back and worked on cars for the rest of my life. But I found ways to shift it and use it as fuel to carry me to another level. 
Yeah, man, those it's just it's such a fantastic sort of definitely one of my favourites from the book. But I'd love to pick up on what you just said there because you mentioned that David, a couple of years later, he gets back in contact with you. I believe in the book you described this as it had to be a few years without, you know, you feeling sick to your stomach and yeah, seeing yeah. his name. So I know that in the book you say that what you realized, what you come to realize a few years later, was that you said to yourself, I mean, you just mentioned it, but that there's a success tax which yep. everybody has to pay. What do you mean by that? Um, so here, I, I come up with crazy analogies. But what if, and this is my dear friend Tony Robbins says this all the time, so I, I like to quote where people give a quote, but what if life happens for us, not to us, right? And if you think of the disadvantages you may have in your life, what if you could put on a different set of glasses and actually see them for what they're for, that they were designed for you? That failure with David Rudick and Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee, that failure was designed for me because it brought me more wisdom. It brought me a different way to think about stuff. And I look at it like a six, think of like if someone was an income tax auditor, you'd have to check off all the boxes. I believe, whether you believe it's God or a success auditor is going, okay, Joe wants to be successful. Okay, um, let's have his first partnership before uh, Lewis fail and have him take advantage of him. Wow, okay, that first partnership failed, but he still got up, found a positive way to overcome it, he learned from it, he's still going, check. Okay, let's, let's, let's have that first business he uh, invests in, he doesn't have enough wisdom yet, that first one's gonna fail. Okay, he failed, he made it through, he learned, it sucked, but he's learning, he's still going forward, check. What if all of these things in life, all this so-called underdogness, was designed to build the exact person that can reach their next level of success? And that's what I look at paying your success tax. You have to have the failures. You have to have people that don't believe in you. All those things can actually add up to the wind behind your back, not the anchor, if you know the subtle shifts. You know, I believe this. We, unfortunately, uh, so many people, this has been so many years I've been in this space, so many people will craft a story on why it's not working for them. The lack of support, lack of funds, lack of timing, all kinds of things, right? And I don't mean that disrespectfully if you've had some tough times. But I think about it, and, and this isn't a book, but I think about, like, imagine being at the end of our lives and you're with your maker, whatever you believe in, God, whatever you believe in, you're with your maker. And he says, so, how'd you do, Joe? You say, well, you know, I was gonna go after it. I started that podcast, but then my one partner screwed me over. And at the same time, my girlfriend cheated on me and left me. It was just too much. So, you know, I did okay. I, I settled for that job. And I lived an okay, I, actually I lived a good life. I could imagine, could you imagine God being like, oh shit, another one. Like literally, I, I gave you the assets, I gave you life, I, put, I made you a human on the planet Earth. You had limitless boundaries, that was there for you. When your girlfriend left you, it made you learn to be a better man on how you could be better in your next relationship. When the partner screwed you over, I wanted you to see that even though that somebody screwed you over, you could still live through your heart. I gave you all the pieces to use as rocket fuel and you used it as an anchor. Oh my God, not another one. And I think about that all the time. All the crap that you've dealt with and you're going through was your design. Listen, when I was a kid, my dad, my dad was the youngest of 12 and he was physically abused this whole childhood. And he shares it publicly, he was sexually abused. My dad was old school Italian, he kept it in, but he had this rage inside of him. My dad would, my dad would go from zero to 100 in a minute. He'd fight somebody, yell somebody. He always, he had aggression so bad because he was taken advantage of as a kid and it was like his way out. When I was 10, I moved in with him to try to calm him down, or 12. And my dad, I mean, we all have our stuff, but it wasn't fun. I had a bleeding ulcer at 12 years old because I was so nervous about my dad. Now, if I could look back and say, poor me. I was an underdog, I had a dad, I, my parents were married nine times between them. I had a dad that would fist fight people and scream and get arrested and, and be mad and do all these things. I could say, poor me, I would have made it in life if it wasn't for my dad. But I found a way to make that, it happen for me. Cause you know what happened by the time I was 14, Joe and Lewis? I could see my dad and I could tell when he was going down like the wrong path where he was gonna get violent and angry. I could feel his emotion and I learned how to sell him 
to get on the path of happiness, to be on the path of love. I learned to have empathy at the deepest level and my sister doesn't talk to him. His brothers and sisters don't talk to him. His parents didn't talk to him. I felt love for him because I felt bad for him. So I had empathy, caring, and I knew how to sell him. When I'm on stage right now with 15,000 people, I feel the crowd. I know what they need. I have empathy for them and I can sell them. Do you know why I can? Because of the shit I went through with my dad that happened for me. And when you start shifting, that was success tax. I paid success tax when I was 12, 15, 18, 20. And the more tax you pay, I believe you check the boxes and then that's when success hits on a whole nother level and that's external and internal. I love this so much. Um, one thing I'd love to pick you up on this and what you just said, but there, I read at the end of the book, one of the last in messages which you close the book out with is that you say, I want this book to disturb people. I want to get under your skin. I want this book to really disturb your thought processes, your beliefs. And I can tell you as a reader, and I've read a lot of books, I can show you my enormous bookshelves, it does. No question about it. But at the same time, I also felt some worry. My worry is that someone is going to read their entire book. They're going to have 5, 10, 15 aha moments. They're going to have all these aha moments. And then before they manage to take any action, there's that voice in their head which is going to go, oh, you're not smart enough. You're not worthy enough. Your mother doesn't love you. This, that, whatever yep. story it is, whatever nonsense story it is which, which, which we're telling ourselves. I suppose my question to you on this would be, how can we break free of that voice in our head. And you mentioned this in the book. You say that yeah. this is something you had to overcome. How can we break free of that voice in our head, which is telling us these things? What can we do, Dean? That's uh, really, really great question. And the reason, one of the reasons I wrote that book is because I have that voice. And I've been fighting that voice my entire life. And it, didn't, it doesn't go away. I want to share that with everybody. I mean, right now, Tony Robbins and I have a company we started together where we're trying to make self-education the new norm. We're trying to fix the broken education system in America, help it rise. It's a huge undertaking. I'm 51. Like, life is good. I've, I've been blessed financially and all that stuff, and I'm taking on another big thing, and I still get nervous, right? I got nervous five years ago and eight years ago and 12 years ago, and, and all of those limiting beliefs uh, is the best way to describe them. They come flooding in and that voice has been trying to mess with me my whole life. So I'll, I'll give you a couple things that I think could really help you. Um, the, the chapter seven is called the turn underdogs turn desperation into persuasion, right? Because most underdogs don't have much. We don't have money. So we got to find a way to make the money. We don't have resources. So we got to be resourceful, right? So here's what I'd say. At 51, no matter what age you are, I don't know if I would have believed this at 21 or 25 or even 30, but what's standing between you and where it is that you want to go, if you read this book and you feel inspired, you read this book and you get the tactics, but you go, God, can I, what's standing between you and where you want to go is that story that you're telling yourself on why you can't achieve it. Now you've heard that before, but I'm going to ask you right now, as you're listening, if you're still here with us, hear it for the first time from someone who's been there, someone who's had massive hardship and massive success. I look back in my life and when I was stalled, it was because of the story I told myself. So how do you bust that story is this. Could you imagine talking to your maker at the end of your life and saying the only reason you didn't do more is because of the story, whatever it is. My parents don't support me. I got dyslexia, I have dyslexia. I don't have money. You know, any of those stories. And then because what you'll see is, no, I don't want that story to hold me back. No, like imagine your life in five years exactly the way it is right now. Imagine it in 10 years exactly the way it is now. And the only thing between you and your next level is that story. You want to fist fight that story. So what I'd say is understand the story is holding you back and it's crippling and it can be hard, but you got to train your brain. Now go find somebody with the same circumstances. You're a stay-at-home mom with no money. Go follow someone who follow the woman who created Spanx. You 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 don't have a great education. Follow John Paul DeGiorgio, who started Patron Tequila and Vidal Sassoon. Go find somebody that had a similar story and realize that your story is bullshit, and create a new story. And then what you have to do, and I know again this is all stuff you've heard, but I'm hoping you hear it for the first time. You have to create a compelling future for yourself. You have to stare at it. You have to look at it every day. You have to read it every day. You have to do the the biggest sales job you have to do in the entire world is selling yourself every day to stare at where you want to go, 
not where you don't want to go. There's two roads, and the people that get stuck in life stare at what they don't want. They stare at uh, lack of funds. They stare at the business not working. They stare at the relationship not having intimacy anymore. They share at a disconnect from uh, their family, and they unfortunately get more of it. You have to make a conscious decision that I'm gonna change this story, I'm gonna find the truth, I'm gonna create a new story, you gotta write the story down and you gotta focus on it and you gotta sell yourself every day that that story will provide, that story will come true. Listen, I use this in my business over and over but I used it in my personal life um, jokes, it's a really great question. Um, I went through a divorce in my 40s and my biggest fear was that my kids wouldn't be okay because divorce was really painful for me as a kid with my family. And everybody said, oh, if you get divorced, me and my ex, we had lived in different bedrooms for a long time. We were friends and good co-parents, but it was time to end a relationship. And I'm not an advocate of divorce, but that was the right thing for us. And I worried about it and thought my kids would be disturbed and, I, and that my ex would talk about me. And all the, I envisioned all these things wrong at first, like, like you said at the end of the book, all the things come back. But then I did what I told you, I changed the story. I created a new story. I wrote it down, I stared at it, and I stared at it every day and I wouldn't stare at the other. I, and then I wrote down this. I'm gonna become best friends with my ex. I'm gonna become a better man. My kids are gonna thrive. That my, if I attract a new woman in my life, that my new relationship and my ex-wife are gonna be friends. I wrote down all these crazy things. I told my friends, they're like, dude, you're a freaking dreamer. You've pulled off everything, but you're never gonna pull off that. And then I wrote down, if I attract a new relationship, it's gotta be someone who will love my kids like they're theirs or I don't wanna be in it. And I, I wrote all these things down. And you know what I did for a year? Guys, I stared at it. Even though the world was saying divorce is gonna be ugly, you make a lot of money, she's gonna hire the best attorneys, she's gonna tell your kids you're this. You know what? None of it freaking happened. It's years later, my kids are thriving. My ex is, one of my, is, a, is a dear friend. My ex and my current wife that I'm married with having a baby right now, they're friends. My kids are thriving. My, we're, my, my son's birthday party, my ex will be there with her uh, in her relationship and I'll be there with mine. Everything I wrote down and I stared at came true, but I had no proof it would come true. I had to have, not confidence, I had to have, um, I had to have courage. You gotta jump out of the plane and grow wings on the way down. So there's a million different answers for that really great question, Joe, but one thing is, I know that other voice is in your head telling you what you can't do. You gotta shift the story and you gotta feed the voice of where you wanna go. You have to stare at it. You gotta sell yourself daily. You can't listen to what other people, you can't have your broke friend telling you how to get rich, your single friend telling you how to fix your relationship. You craft your future, you focus on it and incorporate tools and capabilities to turn those disadvantages, like this book, turn those disadvantages into fuel to drive you to where you wanna go. Dean, one of the main complaints from from underdogs you see is you know i have nothing um i came from nothing i have nothing and i think a lot of people don't realize that in a way that's a superpower i mean i think of the it sport, is i think of the sport of boxing and you know the old saying is the most dangerous fighter is a fighter who has nothing to lose and, <laughs> true story and it, it makes me think you know how how powerful is having nothing to lose in areas like business and life in general? Is that a real advantage of the underdog? There, it is because I feel like if you're privileged and not, I'm not knocking privilege, but I feel like if you have everything going for you, every move you make, you feel like I could lose it. It's it, it, and people are going to judge me compared to like a boxer. When you have nothing to lose, you can go for it. Like it is actually an underdog advantage not to have people watching you. Not it's it's a really great underdog advantage. I love when people underestimate me. I always dress in t-shirts. I go to the fanciest meetings in the world with a t-shirt and sneakers on. And I love when people have suits on and they look at me like, oh, who's this guy? I love that. Oh, it's like, oh, you underestimated me. You're never gonna see me coming. And I don't give a shit what you think. So guess who's winning? Me, 100% of the time. You know, I, you guys are 23? Yeah. Okay, so someday you think you'll have kids? Possibly. Maybe? Yeah. Okay, so if you had kids, let me just ask you this question. Would you rather leave your children or think of someone you love or a friend, would you rather leave your children $1 million resources to go start their own business or would you rather leave your child being the most resourceful human on the planet? Be would you rather give them the million or resourceful? The resourceful, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, because here's the thing. Underdogs don't have the privilege of gaining money. 
right? They don't have the privilege of saying, hey dad, can you start this new company for me? Or being left millions of dollars. So what happens to underdogs without you realizing it, you are so damn resourceful. You know who I hire? Resourceful people. Do you know who I partner with? Resourceful people. Because people with resources and no resources, people with resources and no resourcefulness, you know what they end up? Broke with a failing company or they're a trust fund child and blow all the money or they hit lotto and it's all gone in two years because they have resources, not resourcefulness. So what underdogs have, and if you're listening right now and saying, I have nothing, congratulations, you have nothing to lose. They won't see you coming and you have to be resourceful to make things work. Listen, I never was smart enough to know how to raise money for my companies, right? I just wasn't. I'm not, in today's world, everybody's, especially in Silicon Valley, they come up with an idea and then they go out and do an A-level round of raise and a B-level round of raise and they're trying to gain money, right? I had no idea what that even was. You know what I had to be resourceful when I started a company? That company had a cash flow within the first couple of weeks or I was broke. So I had to figure out how to be resourceful, be good at marketing, be good at writing, be good at storytelling. I had to do everything in my power because if I didn't get the money that came in, we went out of business. So now every company I start, like within the first three months, they're cash flow positive because I'm resourceful in that area. So again, this is a different frame. Like you're listening to me and you're like, yeah, Dean, now you're rich. It's easy to say. No, but I was wherever you are, I was there. I went broke. I've made a thousand bucks a week. I've made a hundred grand a year. I've made a thousand bucks a week or a hundred thousand dollars a week and, and more. So I've been at every level and I'm telling you, these are the same strategies if you're broke or you got a company and you want to take it to another level. Yeah, it's amazing. And to read the book is one thing, but to see you, Dean, communicate this you can really see you live and breathe this stuff. I mean, I've been afraid you're going to come through my computer screen at times <laughs> with the passion that you've got. But what I love is that you wrap up every chapter with a, a challenge of sorts. You know, yep. you really break it down into a practical science. So this has got me thinking, could you issue a challenge of maybe two to three things which our audience, our uh, by all means, we, we got an audience full of underdogs. We are underdogs ourselves. Yeah. Two to three things for the underdog that we can do today. Yeah, great, great. Here's what I would do. One is I would really look at, so let's just say uh, if, we're, if we want to take our business to another level, right? We all feel like, let's just say we have a toolbox and most underdogs feel like their toolbox is empty, right? Like, or, or we got a, a beat up old screwdriver in there, right? We, 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 we kind of have disadvantages in there, right? It's like, so what if right now from just this conversation, you could look through different lenses and look into that toolbox again. And you heard the story about my dad and reading my dad. You heard the story about dyslexia. You heard the story about David Rudick. You heard the story about writing my book because I wasn't good at writing. I found a way to shift that. Every successful person, I geeked out. I listened to a 42-hour book on George Washington, the quintessential underdog here in America, and so many other underdogs, John Paul DeGiorio, Richard Branson. You realize that all the, thing, the only thing different between them and potentially you is they looked in their toolbox where you see uh, you know, broken screwdrivers and broken dreams. They found capabilities and rocket fuel, right? Like... Uh, you're trying to chop down a tree with, a, with a, a butter knife and you don't realize you have a chainsaw in your toolbox. So the first thing I do is look at your disadvantages through a different light today. Like maybe you went through something similar with your parents as I did with mine. How can that be something that guided you? How can you thank them for that journey because you paid your success tax and you know so much more? So I would, I'd say the first thing is look in your toolbox and try to shift one or two things that was a disadvantage and try to make it an advantage. The second thing I would do is we talked about creating a compelling future. For a moment, forget all the shit going on in your life. Forget about the things that went wrong. Forget about the people who let you down. If you could just write out what the best year of your life would be, what would that be? If you, ha if you didn't think about what you don't have, you didn't think about the lack of money, you didn't think about where you live. You just said, if I could do this, I'd be doing masterminds, helping people do this. I'd have a top 10 podcast, whatever that is. What if you just wrote that down today, right now? Not, not your goals, just like your best version of you. And then what I'd challenge you to do, if you want to give a challenge, is the next 30 days, read those goals or read that best version of you every single morning and every single night for the next 30 days. People do New Year's resolution goals on January 1, they write them and they look at them again next January 1 to see they didn't do them. That's why New Year's resolutions have a bad rap. 
you want to make impact in your life, you got to look at your goals and you got to sell yourself every day. So the two things that I would challenge you to do, look at your disadvantages and see which one you can make a superpower today, just from this little bit of conversation. You get the book, you'll have a whole process. Secondly, I would write down the best year of your life. Who is that? What version of you is that? What are you accomplishing? And read it every morning and every night for the next 30 days and thank me later. <laughs> you know, it's, it's clear you, you don't need to do this. You do this because you love this stuff. And uh, we're just going to close the show with one last question for you. Let's imagine a scenario in which every person on the planet right now, hypothetically, they're all tuned into the same frequency. And you, Dean, you can give a short but impactful message to the entire world based on your story, your truth, you know, these, these amazing things which you've done, these mountains you've climbed. What would your message to the world be? You know, a lot of things come to my mind at once, but one thing, I've been blessed to be on stages in front of cumulatively hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. I've got to meet so many of my students, uh, meet people who read my books, meet people who go to my events, and I want to tell you, there is no common denominator for successful people, meaning no common denominator when it comes to how much money they had, what their education was, what color they are, where they grew up. There's no common denominator in my eyes except one thing desire. You have, you have to have a burning desire and know that anything is possible. Um, there's nothing else because I, I've seen too many successful people to realize that there's not, I don't say, oh, it's all people who went to Harvard. Or it's all people who were born with money or it's all people who are Sagittarius or it's all people that live in this certain area. It's not. It's desire and it's the ability to get up after failure and keep going forward. And eventually you pay enough success tax that one day without realizing it, you open a door and you're on your next level of life. And that's, uh, that's the best thing I can share. Dean, where can our Freedom Pack family connect with you? Um, so if you want to get the book, you can go to deansbook.com. We created a really awesome promotion. Uh, we bought the hardcovers. We give the hardcovers away if people pay the shipping and handling. It helps us really launch a book and get hundreds of thousands of copies out there. Um, so we love that. So go to deansbook.com or uh, check us out on Instagram. My, I, I, go, I do a Facebook or an Instagram story every single day. Just started doing that about a year ago and it seems like people are loving it. Our Instagram's growing like crazy so you can uh, get to know me a little better there too. This has been a pleasure connecting with you. We certainly hope it's not the last time. And man, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome, guys. And keep up the good work, man. You're making an impact too. Just realize it starts, if, if one person listens today and their life is affected, we did our work, okay? So keep up the good work, guys. Appreciate you.